wonderful day, full of knowledge. Project A Podcast. We're going to be talking about five hard truths every entrepreneur has to learn. And it's mainly misunderstandings. We usually, Laura and I, when we talk to founders or to entrepreneurs, uh, we realize it's mainly five misunderstandings that you guys, if you're founders, usually have. And what we are doing then is we have to open your eyes. We have to show you reality. And it's usually five hard truths. And when you understand them, you are able to do stronger and better communications. So let's start with the hard truth number one. Nobody cares about you. Sounds harsh, sounds hard, maybe also provocative, but um, it's true. Usually, I mean, when we, when we meet founders, they're very convinced of themselves. They're convinced of themselves, of their team, of their product. Um, they have great funding, great market, great ideas. So nothing should happen. I mean, and you have to have this mindset as founder because you're taking a risk. You're not going to start a job where you get a regular salary. You are starting your own adventure, so you have to be convinced of yourself and your company. But there's one problem. You have competitors. Does anybody of you know how many tech startups we have in this world today? A guess. 1,200 tech startups in this world? A million? More? It's 1.78 million tech startups we have in this world. And I have never met a founder who's saying, I'm average. I think the others are better. Every founder I have met is convinced that his product, his idea, his team, and himself or herself is so strong to beat the competition. It has to be so. But there's another thing adding to this hard truth. Do you know how many exits we have in the tech startup industry each year worldwide? Please guess another time. It's a little less. <laughs> how many exits do we have per year? 90%. 90%? 4,000 exits each year. So, and this, this ball here, uh, I made it this big so that you can see it. It should be smaller and this one should be much bigger. So it's really a hard truth to recognize, okay, you are competing with so many competitors and founders who are convinced of themselves. And I'm sorry, it's not the last adding to this hard truth. You're competing with many more things for attention. Yes, so as if that's not enough, 1.78 million. This is your competition as well. Your holiday pictures from your best friend. Cute little baby pictures of your new nephew or goddaughter. Of course, also food stories on Instagram. But also shitty tweets from shitty people. Who here, who here is following this guy? Just stop. Just stop. Don't waste your attention. Focus on the cool startups. Um, yeah, and of course, there's always videos of dancing cats on the internet. So you not only have to get through through all the noise from all tech startups, no, all the people you want to reach, they also want to look at other funny stuff, dancing cats. So the question is, why should they care about you? And when we are talking about they, it's mainly four groups of people founders want to get the attention of. It's of course the customers and clients. You want to buy your service, your product. 
Of course, it's talents. You want people make work, the best people to work for your company. It's investors, you need funding. And of course, it's the broader public, it's the journalists. So you want them to care about you and your company. And of course, we are going to be telling you how you can succeed in this. This is something we are, be uh, we are going to be talking about the, uh, the next four hard truths. You will learn a lot. But before we tell you how you can convince people to listen to you, you have to do your homework. It's three things you always have to do before starting to do communications. And mainly, it's also three things you should know when starting a company. So you have to know your target groups. You have to know your message. And you have to know the channels and formats you are sending the message to the heads and brains of the people, the audience you want to reach. So let's jump in. And truth number, hot truth number two is? I just have to add one more sentence there. So this is, of course, the homework for you as founders. And I assume many of you are founders and want to be founders. But you have experts to help you with that. So get in touch with your comms people early. Don't just figure it out all by yourself and then hand it over. Oh, Daniel, now blow it out into the world. Don't like, work together with them. That's actually, maybe you should put this as fourth. Right? Yeah. Okay, I continue with the storyline. Um, so, second hard truth. If you don't have a story, you have nothing to say. Why is that? There is this very smart guy, Daniel Kahneman, who won a Nobel Prize and who wrote this amazing book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is really a very, very uh, inspiring read. And he said nobody ever made a decision based on a number. They need a story. And he didn't just say that. He proved it with a lot of uh, psychological experiments and a lot of um, experience from uh, working as a consultant. And why is that? Let's have a look at our brain. So we have a lot of conscious errors in our brain, and then we have the subconscious part. And of course, we all like to think we're super rational, we're very smart, everything we do is based on our ratio, and we make decisions consciously. Sorry, that's wrong. So actually, what happens, our subconsciousness rules most of the time. So let's look what happens if I tell you a story, how to do good communication, or some other things. Um, of course, the conscious areas of your brains, they are listening, they are hearing. If it's not a story, yeah. If it's yeah. not a story, only those rational parts the are activated, correct? Thank you. If I'm telling you something, if I give you facts, if I give, present you with numbers and graphs and details, but if I'm telling you a story, if I put some other ingredients to it, I can appeal to your emotions. I can do that by language. I can tell you, oh my God, I was really shit scared when I saw you calling and I looked at my watch and my watch said like quarter to 11 <gasps> and then I rushed here and finally made it on time. So there I can appeal to, to you as a human being and I appeal to that pink part, to the subconscious part and you will remember that much more than any numbers that I can list. So these are the things that you can or should appeal to. You can use language that is very relatable. If you tell a story, you use symbols and pictures, you appeal to other people's senses. Um, ideally positive, but also, of course, sometimes negative. I was so stressed. Um, and then that what leads to really things, stories, sticking in people's brains. Because they make decisions based on our emotions. And we later justify them rationally. So, of course, we don't go out and say, like, oh, I decided on this investment by gut feeling. While that might be true, we, of course, 
can justify this decision by, I looked at their balance sheet, I looked at the business plan, it looks really great. But we should always, and we need to remember, the subconscious part is that really matters. And we can only reach that with stories. We can't reach that with facts only. So to give you an example, so our main product is Adblock Plus. And um, one day that happened. A lot of media corporations in Germany started suing us. Of course, that's not so much fun. And you would think that's probably not the best uh, PR for a young startup. So I could have totally tell you why they, all these claims are like unsubstantiated, why they won't succeed before the law. Maybe that's interesting for a lawyer, but it's definitely not so interesting for mainstream media and in the end, our users. So what did we do? We found a story. And of course, if you spin a story, you don't want to be too humble. You want to think of something, A, that everybody knows, that's easy to understand, where it's very clear who is good and who is bad. So we just explained why we are the good guys. Because like superheroes, we're defending users' rights. And that was actually something that got picked up a lot by the press. And that spin of us defending users' rights whilst the corporation tried to spin it like us taking away from their money, um, was, was superior. And as you know from reading superhero stories or watching the movies, the good guys win. So we won all of these lawsuits. And this story of us defending user rights is what got us the press. There's a lot of lawsuits every day, and not all of them get a lot of coverage. But if you stand there and say, like, we're not just doing this to make money, we're doing this for all of you so you can watch the internet or surf the internet without super annoying ads. That's what gets you coverage. And what really made me happy that in the end, the Welt, which belongs to one of the corporations that sued us, also had to report on that. <laughs> and a good story doesn't just uh, get you headlines. It also gets you primetime TV. And I was really surprised how many people still watch TV in this digital age. So this is what I said in German. Um, they took that quote and it was on the 8.15 p.m. primetime news. And again, I can tell you a great story of what a great job our communications department did. But let's also prove it with some numbers. So this is the spike that happened after the mentioning of ad blocking on German TV. So yeah, that definitely paid off. So there are good reasons for delivering good stories. And if you want to deliver a good story, we also have some to-dos for you, how to achieve that. Um, the first one is remember or try to remember yourself as a three-year-old. When you were going through the world, it's like, why? I was like, why can't I do this? But why? This is how you get to the core of the story. So we did this for us. So why are we the good guys? Well, because we block ads. Why is this great? Because people don't like ads. But why is it then great that we block them? Because people don't want to be forced. So we are good guys who give users the choice, who support the freedom of the people. So asking why a lot of times helps a lot. And then, of course, again, make it emotional. Try to find a story that really, yeah, has, a, has an effect not just on the rational part of your brain. If you do that, it most likely will be a relatable story, something where all the people you tell the story to can picture themselves or can see where they stand in that story. 
And if you have your audience in a story, you also have to put yourself in a story. Because then you have an emotional connection between your audience and yourself. And that kind of is, that's the, the storytelling gold. When you, when you see this checklist, then you have kind of the ingredients for a good story. So a story, you have to ask those five whys. It has to be uh, emotional, retailable, uh, personal. I'll be showing you now a video. It still has not started, luckily, uh, where we really uh, acted like that. Uh, it's a video about Kuno Medical. Kuno Medical has a very strong, exceptional founder, Sophie Chung. Um, I'm really a fan of Sophie Chung. And uh, her claim or uh, her vision is to democratize healthcare. She's not saying, I want people to have hair. She's saying, I want to democratize healthcare. She's not saying, I want people to uh, have affordable healthcare. She's really telling another story, a bigger story. So healthcare, affordable prices for everybody everywhere. So that's her message. And um, we translated this into a story of Eamon Duffy, an Irish guy who had no hair and who was not happy. And um, he did a hair transplantation through Kuno Medical. And of course, you can tell the pros uh, of this hair transplantation. And of course, you can also debate, uh, why is he doing it? I mean, also people without hair are happy. You've seen <laughs> some at the main stage at the beginning of our conference. So you don't need to have hair to be happy. But still, his story is another one. And, I, uh, and we told it with Kuno. You don't have any hair in that. And that affected me. It, it made me feel old. And I decided to do something like that. I chose Kuna Medical because they were very honest. They were very forthright. They told me that you can have this choice, that choice, the other choice. Shaz offered me a couple of options. One was to go to Poland. They said they called Medmix Clinic. That's kind of where I went after that. Made the phone call, booked it. Well, the pain has some surgery done. My transplant, they took 3,000 grafts from the back of my head and retransplanted it to the top where I was sitting or bald in. The only pain that I experienced was the initial numbing of the, uh, the scalp for four seconds. And if you look, the four seconds sounds like it's one, two, three, four. That's it. So this video is generating quite many leads. And um, yeah, for Kuna Medical, it's great because uh, people who don't have hair and who want to do a hair transplantation, they share this video one to another. And um, the story is leading to leads because it's relatable, it's emotional. And um, yeah, I think it's also the pictures. When you see him, for example, going with his hands through his hair, everybody knows this feeling. So you can also relate to it. And it's a classical story. It's also a story of a hero who really was afraid, of course, of this operation. He went through it, one, two, three, four. He has done it, and he's a hero for others. Next hard truth is 
content is king. Okay, that's not the hard truth. The hard truth usually is that kings don't come for free. That's something I'm confronted so often with when I talk to founders. When they tell me, okay, we know that we need content, we need a video, we need storytelling. How much does it cost? Then I tell them how much it costs and they're like, whew, this has to be cheaper. I mean, it's only a movie, it's only a picture. And I have to explain all the time from you why, it's, why you have to spend some money on it, why it's not done so fast. And brave founders understand it and they know that they have to invest. I'm going to tell you another story to show you another video, but before I do that, I was surprised when I found out who said content is king three weeks ago. I was expecting it to be an actor or a producer, some creative guy. Does anybody of you know who said it first? Ha! One of the most successful founders, entrepreneurs on earth ever. Bill Gates wrote it in an essay in 1996 and he's starting this essay with content is where I expect much of the real money will be made on the internet just as it was in broadcasting. So hell, this guy understood it and I will boil it down, it's very provo uh, provocative when I say it, but if you look at the successful companies, they work with content. If you look at the companies who are not successful, they don't invest here, period. Let me show you a video. No, before I would like to summarize what we have learned. So we have learned emotional decision-making. By the way, that's like climate change. You can't believe in it or not. It's happening, fact. People are deciding based on emotions. So this guy, Daniel Kahneman, sociologist, economist, Nobel Prize winner, this book is about thousand pages long. And I thought when I read it like the first hundred pages, I got it. But then there's more proof, more proof, more proof, neuropsychology, neurosciences, sociology. So facts, people decide based on emotions. Second, what we've learned so far is storytelling. And the third thing is images and examples. And when I show you the next video, you will maybe understand, I hope you will understand why. Also, when you tell a story, you have to care for strong images that stick. This video, we have done it for Conturion. Conturion um, is mainly a marketplace or uh, a platform, a shop, an e-commerce shop on the internet where craftsmen can buy their tools. Uh, that's a very successful story for us. We sold Conturion for more than 100 million euros after three years founding. Three years later, sold it for more than 100 million euros. Conturion also got it, understood that they need content. And so we made a video. Yeah, let's just show it to you. Du weißt, dass in den Dingen mehr steckt, dass sie aus mehr bestehen, als aus ihren Materialien. Dass sie zu beschaffen mehr braucht, als Werkzeug. Sie bestehen aus Erfahrung, aus harter Arbeit, aus Sorgfalt und Liebe zum Detail. Für das Ergebnis nicht nur alles.
Das ist deine Händewerk. Und wir geben dir, was du dafür brauchst. So, also a hero. I mean, it's a simple story. He's building up a chair. And, um, yeah, but we showed him the way how craftsmen see themselves. Carpenters. Ah, yeah, and you knew the story, <laughs> right? Yeah, because of your father. No, I didn't know it, but when he showed it to me the first time, I was like, because my dad was a carpenter, so I was really put back into the time when I was, like, hanging around in a workshop with him, and he also let me, like, build some things. And, um, yeah, it... It totally got straight into the subconscious part of my brain because all of a sudden I was this little girl there, like um, trying out the saw and like doing and playing around with pieces of wood. And um, then I, I showed it to him, and of course he had known it because it went quite viral in the, in the craftsman community. Yeah, that's yeah, it really went viral. So the goal was to reach, uh, to have a high reach in this relevant target group. And we showed a carpenter at work, illustrating the core message, you are the hero, we are by your side. And what made me most happy uh, is the comments. So it's um, like, yeah, this is why I'm a carpenter, or I'm so proud to be a craftsman. Thanks for this sensational video, you also did your job well. So it was really, um, yeah, this is something what we wanted to reach so that the people really see themselves in this carpenter. We had more than 1 million views, more than 800 shares, uh, more, th more than 3,000 likes, and uh, hearts were invented then uh, to Facebook like a few months uh, before. Uh, many love, uh, much love. So, mm, what makes a good video? As we know, tell a good story and show close-ups. That's something I'm telling my team all the time when they are going to produce videos. It's so relevant to show close-ups, to show hands, dust, so that you can smell the pictures, although you're not smelling anything, but you are smelling it, your brain is relating to it. So close-ups, 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 close-ups. I can't repeat it, it's, it's, it's so important. And if you also remind yourself of the, of the video, I'm sure you will remind those close-ups you have seen. Make it personal, relatable, Careful quality, that's also something what's really bad if you want to save money on a video or on good content. Uh, usually it won't pay off because then you have to spend much more marketing money on content that's just not flying, that's just not good enough. So this four, um, maybe the most important is be brave. That's what I said at the start. Be brave really to invest into content, into a story and don't focus of course, you have to focus on the costs, but also focus on the, on the benefit that's possible coming out. Basically, content is kind of like a mini startup because you have to invest and just be brave and your startup won't succeed if you're shying away and just doing like the very, very basic stuff. Okay, we already add hard truth. Uh, yeah, at this point, I have to say we generated a lot of PR through the video because also the Handwerkskammer, so the Craftsman Society shared it, and so we got many journalists coming to us. And yeah. why is that? Because journalists are human journalists, and they also have emotions, and even their decisions are made in the subconscious part of the brain. So when they see a story that's really appealing, they are way more likely to cover it. Um, what we see very often in the startup scene, but also in bigger companies, it's not, not, too, common, not too uncommon, unfortunately, that... Uh, Companies think, well, 
these people write, it's their job, right? So I get them a story and then they have to write about me. Oh, doesn't work like that. Um, especially journalists are quite sensitive when it comes to being told what to do. You might have heard of this thing of freedom of the press. They take this very seriously. So we have a great example um, how, how not to do it. So this is Philipp Grösler, um, former Minister for Foreign Affairs and Vice-Chancellor of Germany. During one of his election campaigns, he gave an interview to a large German newspaper. Um, and then afterwards, he didn't like his own answers. So he rejected his answers. He wanted to change them, actually all of them. And so then eventually the journalists said, well, no, that's not going to happen. So what they did is they printed the whole interview. And probably if you're on the back, you can't see it. But they only printed the questions and they blurred out everything where there would have been an answer. So though you don't read any of his answers, this sends a not so nice message about what he is about, what he thinks about of the press, how he stands to his own word, something you should think might be important for a politician. Yeah, so this is really kind of, um, yeah, worst case scenario. Um, another worst case scenario, more um, relevant for startups is don't become PR from hell. So this is a hashtag that's used by a lot of journalists. These are all tech journalists writing for Vice, Motherboard, Golem, covering digital for site online in Germany. Uh, so things like, yes, I got your email and maybe there was a reason I ignored it the first time. So don't send me 10 emails. Did you get my message? We also talked a lot about being relevant. So if you send the invitation for an opening of a garden center to T3N, who's also covering startups in the digital sphere, that might not be so relevant. I think um, this sums it up quite nicely. No, I wrote, I won't write about your company, even if you send me a press release in caps locked. So this is, check out this hashtag, is really a very nice list of how not to do PR. But of course, we want to tell you how to do good PR. And now you also, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking again about myself. Which You're advertising Adblock Plus again, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last year, December, uh, I got a call from Kaylee Rogers, who was then writing for Vice in the US, which of course is a pretty big deal. Um, she knew me, she knew that I'm the spokesperson, head of communications. Um, I knew her, we had a few interactions. So first thing, there was a relationship and she knew whom to reach out to. She wanted to write about why it's so hard to block ads on Facebook. I explained to her, but also, as I'm not, not so new to this business anymore, I tried to um, give her some more other interesting facts, stories about our product and things we do and why we do them to just, yeah, enrich the story maybe. And um, then of course, after she wrote this article, I thanked her, I reached out, I showed appreciation. That's also really important, even if somebody covers you critically, because even like, especially then they put in a lot of work and don't expect them to just like, they're, they're not your marketing department. They're writing about you objectively. So yeah, I mean, I, I said that. Um, we also, I followed her on Twitter for quite a while. We, I know that we have interest in the same books and authors. Um, and then what happened a few days later, she wrote another article about these other things that I told her. And of course I didn't tell you like, oh, that's a nice story, but what you actually should be writing about is this. I just, yeah, tried to tell her a little bit more than only the things she asked. And of course that was uh, pretty cool to be on motherboard in the US um, 
two weeks in a row with a great story. And the second one was actually really pretty much about Adblock Plus and why we're different than other ad blockers. So also here, some to-dos. Really invest in relationships because it's people. It's communications is very much a people's business. To build up a good relationship, you need to get their story. You not only need to see them as, it's not a one-way street where you tell your story. You need to know who is this person? What are they interested in? What are they usually writing about? Because then you can tell the right story to the right journalist. You won't send up an invitation for a garden center to a tech journalist. But maybe you will send a story about a cool new medical startup to somebody who has written a lot about medtech before. Of course, appreciate their support. They were going full circle because if you have a relationship that involves giving feedback to each other, as easy as that, you should think. But um, I think from your experience as being a journalist, you know that a lot of people... Yeah, when I was a journalist, uh, I had so many addresses just uh, clicked as spam. So when I was sent by journalists or agencies mainly, uh, not journalists, but PR people and agencies, I received emails that simply were not relevant for me. I really recognized, okay, you didn't do any research on me. You didn't, you didn't check what I'm writing about, spam. And um, maybe I had, should have screenshotted uh, that for, uh, if I would have known that I will be having this presentation now, this hundreds of emails that automatically when they sent me something uh, went into spam when I was journalist. And maybe, and I guess, many interesting stories also then didn't reach me, but please send me only stuff I can relate to, get my story, and um, I usually covered only stories from uh, PR people I knew, so whom I had relationships with. What was the worst press release you ever got about a startup? Uh, uh, many. I really have to think uh, so many. I mean, usually it's this garden center thing or when I really, when it doesn't relate anyhow to me. I really have to think so many things. Well, you think. I'm opening number five. Ah, uh, yeah. You can't afford bullshit. If you check out this uh, PR from hell, you also see that there's a lot of things where you're like, really? Has the world really been waiting for that? And uh, to just um, remind you what happens uh, if you exaggerate with the fake until you make it. Um, who of you has heard of Jizuru? Yeah. Yeah, many people, yeah. Um, so for those who haven't, Jizuru was this amazing startup. They invented this machine. It has two plates that had the power to, of lifting two Teslas that would press packets with freshly chopped fruit and vegetables straight from the farm. You put, put it in your machine, it presses the juice and you have amazing cold pressed juice. You also have an app where you can track, I'm not sure what, something about your juice. But it was just $700. Um, so perfect for startup, kind of like the Nespresso for juice, right? Um, they, f uh, um, they raised 70 million in Series B, so kind of respectable. Um, until then you could think, okay, fake it till you make it, uh, like doing your job. And then Bloomberg came and uh, they looked at these packages and um, they took a very old school machine consisting of two human hands, pressing these packages and it had the same juice in the same cup. Um, that of course also went viral. Um, they did not get any further cent. They never sold any of these machines. Uh, the guy who founded it um, never founded anything again. I don't think you will ever get 
single dollar. Yeah, if you look on Crunchbase, yeah. if you check his name, you will see uh, like Startups Founded one. I think yeah. it was his first and his last. Yeah, it's kind of like Crunchbase graveyard. The next story. Don't don't exaggerate with the bullshit because if you if any of you has ever taken a marketing class, there's this one thing you learn very early. So a good experience will be shared by an average three people. A bad experience will be shared by seven and more. Because we as humans we like to share something's shitty. You could think maybe that's from like Stone Age, when we have to tell each other which fruit really not to eat, I don't know. But that's a fact. So bad news travel much further. So bullshit, you really can't afford it. And now... Yeah, there's another big example you can relate to, I think, or many people of you. Um, Dieselgate, Volkswagen was a strong brand, wanted to, uh, to become the biggest car maker in the world until 2020. Uh, won't happen because of uh, bullshit they have done. It's simply fraud. Uh, they programmed diesel engines to activate their emission controls only during laboratory testing. So fraud, and in reality they emitted uh, up to 40 times more nitrogen oxides. So this is a story everybody knows, and this bad thing for Volkswagen is a story people like to listen to talk, scandals, fraud, uh, managers coming, uh, going to jail. So um, at the end, has anybody of you a guess how much it costs Volkswagen? How many it's billions uh, it costs? I will show you the number now. Two billion? Seven? The number I'll show you, it's already uh, all the gains. They s sold those manipulated cars and of course there were gains and they had revenues and profit. All this is counted already in. It's 30 billion euros costs. So said, the, the profit of um, those manipulated cars sold is already inside. And those are the costs uh, status quo now. And they still have 60,000 uh, cases, suits, uh, processes, lawsuits. lawsuits in Germany, and half a million lawsuits uh, in the US, open lawsuits. And it won't end good for them. And um, yeah, what do you think where they are now in this brain? This story is so deep in the subconsciousness. When you look at their logo, when you think about Volkswagen, you don't think about strong supercars. Very fast you have Dieselgate in mind as well. So that's a very bad story for them. And um, maybe you know that they started to rebranding themselves. I didn't bring the new logo, but when you see it, the first thing uh, people have in mind when they see it, it's very clean, of course. And this is also very expensive now for Volkswagen to rebrand. They, of course, want to be clean. So, um, the checklist, um, if you or if founders think we have a shortcut, we can sell a product that's not ready yet, but we will do because we earn money and we will uh, add this feature. We say it already has, but it has not. Don't do it. I mean, those are, of course, you say, maybe founders say gray zones, but um, you can't afford bullshit. Think about the worst possible outcome. And that's also something how our brain works. If something is very abstract, I'm sure those managers at Volkswagen, when they thought about this fraud, they couldn't imagine they would go to jail. They couldn't imagine... Technically, it makes sense. You build a switch and then you sell way more cars because they Works. stick to better standards. Others also do it. Nobody can imagine that this will end up so bad. But if you consult a communications uh, pro, he or she will tell you, okay, could end up like this and then it's manifest, then it's concrete and then hopefully you won't do it. So don't do bullshit.
Let's sum up those five hard truths. Number one was nobody cares about you. But you can change that. If you don't have a story, you have nothing to say. So tell stories. Content is king, but kings don't come for free. So be brave. The press is your partner, not your servant. Build relationships. And you can't afford bullshit. Don't do bullshit. So this is maybe the most important thing, because then all this negative mm, possible press and media coverage um, Bullshit is a happen. great story, so it will stick, it will travel fast, but not to your advantage. Correct. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Until next time. <laughs>